So when I became an independent MLA, I had a choice. Uh, there have been independent MLAs in the past who have been charged with things, and so they were forced to become one, and they sort of sat in the back and basically still voted with their party and supported them. There are others who uh, sort of sat, didn't show up very often and so forth. But I decided if we were going to do this, we're going to do it right. And we decided we were going to do this. We were going we to be what independence should be and what we should have more of. Kevin first asked me to come, I was going to talk about the same idea of what it's like to be an independent, um, but I was going to be running in the election. And I'm not going to get into the whole sordid story of why I decided not to run, but at the end of the day it was the only option for my wife and I and my family because it just, some of the things I want to talk about today are the challenges of, of being an independent in the system we have in Nova Scotia. Um, and we just decided it was time to hang up the hat. I've been at this for 13 years. Uh, when I got into it, I promised my wife I would only do it for 10, and it just extended and extended, and it caused all kinds of stress and, and issues. But um, here's the thing. In, I started in politics as an independent. I was elected as a city councillor in 2004. Uh, my wife and I went and knocked on doors for a few days until somebody came and asked, said they weren't going to run and they wanted to be my uh, campaign manager instead of running. And it, it grew from there. But it was really, it was a grassroots thing. As Kevin said, I had grown up in the community. Um, my mom still lives in our family house on Dorothea Drive. Uh, and, and, you know, I have roots in this. We, my wife and I are raising our son here, and it was important. And, of course, when I first ran for council, or my son wasn't even born, he was uh, part of this political journey, if you will, in some respects. Um, so I got into this as an independent. Uh, I was involved in Young Liberals, but I voted for all three parties over the years. Um, but I wasn't a member of any party when I ran for council, and I attended events put on by all different parties. I had good relationships with them. Um, and, I, and I liked that, and I thought there was a lot of benefit to that. Uh, but ultimately, I did decide, as many of you know, to run provincially in 2009. And in the NDP suite, I was able to, to win the seat for the Liberals. 
but even then, uh, I ran very much an independent campaign. The people that came were, uh, they were not, many of them were not party affiliated or they were affiliated with other parties and just came to help me. Uh, by the time 2013 came around, we were, and even in 2009, we were using our own literature. We didn't use the party literature. Um, and so I always thought of myself as an independent liberal, uh, which probably didn't um, do me do me a lot of favors uh, being in the party and probably contributed to a lot of issues, but that, that, so be it. Um, when, so when I became an independent MLA, I had a choice. Uh, there have been independent MLAs in the past who have been charged with things, and so they were forced to become one and they sort of sat in the back and basically still voted with their party and supported them. There are others who uh, sort of sat, didn't show up very often and so forth, but I decided if we were going to do this, we're going to do it right. And, uh, Nancy from my office, who's here today, um, came on board at the time. She had known me since council, and uh, we decided we were going to do this. We were going to we were going to be what independence should be and what we should have more of. Now, before I go too much further, let me say that there is one jurisdiction in Canada that elects all of their provincial members as independents, and that's none of it. And none of it is our most recent and earliest, um, uh, most recent and earliest. Uh, legislature, if you will, I don't know that they call it a legislature, but every single member uh, who runs in that election runs as an independent and not as a member of a party. And then the members of the legislature then vote for a speaker and vote for a premier and then a cabinet is selected. Uh, that creates a different dynamic. Uh, it's, there's much more consensus and, and working with one another and uh, you're voting for the person. The problem that you have here in Nova Scotia, Nova Scotia and Canada generally has one of the strictest party disciplines anywhere in um, anywhere in the democratized world, really. I, I mean, you only need to look at why um, the Prime Minister of Britain recently called an election. It wasn't because the opposition was a problem, it was because members of her own party weren't supporting her on issues. And she did not, she was not able to whip the vote sufficiently, even in the states and, and God help us, we love to make fun of the U.S. system. Um, but you look at their health care votes recently and the tax reform, it's because even though they're a Republican or a Democrat, each one of those people is elected independently through a, through a system of primaries where they care more about the people who voted for them than they do about the party discipline. And so you never quite know how those votes are going to go. In Nova Scotia, you might as well not have the legis anybody show up at the legislature because every vote is pretty much a foregone conclusion. And recently, when you look at Bill 75, which was the teacher's issue, and, and it doesn't really matter whether you think the bill was the right thing for Nova Scotia or the wrong thing, you knew what the vote was going to be before it ever happened, and yet we had what, something like 10 days of debate and 24-hour sessions to get to a vote that it didn't matter how many people showed up at a public hearing. What mattered was that the, part, that the party knew they had the votes, now some people will argue that they bought off some of their members or so forth by, you know, announcing rink funding or so forth. But it, it's much, it, it's not as simple as that. The reality is when you raise money and you're getting close to an election, that money sits with the party. Uh, when I became an independent, I left $40,000 in the bank um, that would have been used against me as a candidate in Dartmouth East. So all the money that I went and raised through putting on fundraisers and organizing them would have been used to campaign against me in this election. Uh, as well, one of the other things that we have with independence in Nova Scotia, which is not the same in all provinces, is 
if you donate to a party during an election, um, or an independent candidate, you get a tax receipt of 75%. Now, if you donate to an independent candidate before the election, you don't get a tax receipt. But you do if you donate to a party candidate, which means that independents can't really start even raising money until the day the election is called. Uh, so we had lots of money committed in people who were saying, listen, we're going to give you donations and so forth. So we could have run the campaign. But it was so much money was going to be required, and we were going to have to do that in a short period of time. And then, um, many parties actually make a profit on the election, or many riding associations. So every both elections we were in, we made a process. And that money got rolled back into the riding association, which, uh, so you use the election as a fundraising opportunity, right? Well, independents, if they raise more money than they spend during the election, have to write a check for the balance to the uh, finance department uh, to go to the provincial budget. So it, they, so they started getting zero in four years when there's another election, while the parties are raising money continuously. And I mean, some of these parties, some of these riding associations have huge war chests. They have investments, the whole bit. Um, so that's a real challenge for some. Now, we, 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 in our case, we could overcome that challenge. Um, but it's because I've been around for 13 years. You imagine if you're an independent. The reason I donate to the Offscript podcast is because I believe that there's a strong correlation between the quality of life in our province and how democratically engaged our citizenry is. I applaud the work that Springtide is putting in to make our home a better place to live and for giving us insider access to one of our most important provincial institutions that we should all know a lot more about. I hope that you'll consider donating too so that we can keep engaging. Caucus, 
and they, they would have a talk to me and they'd say, well, I'd like to raise this in question period. And even if that MLA believed in the issue, it didn't mean that that question would get raised because it might conflict with the party position or might impact another riding or, and so on and so forth. And, and the example I'll give you is um, uh, there was a quarry project in Fall River. And it matters less whether the quarry project is a good project or not. What matters is there were problems with that application. Uh, I was environment minister for part of it, so I'm aware of some of the issues. And, and some of you will be aware that um, just days before I got turfed, I actually rejected that application. Um, and, one of the, and it ultimately went to court, and it, it, the rejection was ultimately upheld, uh, largely because uh, it got withdrawn by the, by the people appealing it. So, What's interesting about that situation is that the, the member there was a liberal and they couldn't get questions asked about it because you're not going to ask questions to the government. Now, you know, Bill Horn, who's the member there, may very well have been very supportive of the court of people, but you couldn't ruffle feathers because they're in government. Up in uh, Pictou County, where you had an opposition member, uh, I know there are people who had taken their concerns about uh, some issues with Northern Pole to their member, who was an opposition member, but it was deemed that they couldn't ask questions about it in question period because it was going to cause an issue with other party interests, uh, despite the fact that the member up there actually was quite supportive of the community on this issue. Uh, so it ended up becoming me that asked the many of the questions in question period on the Northern Pulp issue because I just agreed with the issue and I felt I had a compelling case and I could raise it. Um, it didn't fit in with the plan of that political party. And so now, now we are facing an election where many of you have heard of this whole broken glass voters thing that, um, I guess Graham Steele kind of started, he picked it up from somebody else and then it kind of, he mentioned it and it got started. And people are saying, and a lot of that's come up because of Bill 75, which was this education thing, which I was referring to earlier. And here's why that matters, is people went to their members, uh, government members for the most part, and said, you need to vote against this legislation. Uh, I'm not happy with it. So you imagine a writing that has a lot of educators in it, a lot of parents who are concerned about it, and yet every one of them voted along party lines. And some of them voted along party lines without wanting to. Um, and it, it's a tough balance. And I'm not going to say that I wasn't ever there, because I was. And the example I'll give you is the film tax credit issue. Now, in 2000 and, uh, 2015 budget, and there were the changes to the film tax credit. And I sat there and I met with people in my constituency office at most days during that budget about this issue. And I struggled, do I vote against? It wasn't actually in the budget. Um, it was in the next year's budget, which I voted against, but it was in something called the Financial Measures Act, the initial changes. Now, the commitment that we had been made as a caucus was that, listen, if this film change doesn't work out the way we think, we'll fix it. And there's cabinet regulations to come, and there's so much more that's coming. And so I looked at that, and there was another issue that the Financial Measures Act is what's called a, um, uh, it's called a confidence vote. Uh, Bill 75 was not a confidence vote, but a co there are basically three votes in the legislature, the Budget, the Financial Measures Act, and the Throne Speech, which isn't always voted upon, but can be. And if the government falls on them, uh, or if the government loses those, then the government falls in the election, it's called. So the, the calculus on that is a little bit different because you need to ask yourself, 
should the government fall on this? And if the government falls and there's an election held, uh, would the result be any different? And so for the financial or for the financial measures act and the film tax credit, it became a decision for me to say, well, we've been promised changes if it doesn't work out. And real the reality was if the if enough people voted against it and the government fell, the polling was pretty clear that the result was going to be exactly the same. So there was no benefit in voting against that. Now, a lot of people still got mad at that, and that's fine. But it, it's, I, the point was, though, that I went and was able to explain to people why I voted the way I did. Um, now, I was a liberal member at the time. But when it came to the teacher's issue, it was not a competence vote. So nobody could use that as an excuse. Um, and this is where party discipline comes in. It's in Nova Scotia. Uh, the premier, in this case, assumes that everybody will vote against. And if they don't, they get kicked out of the party. And so it's a very big step, whereas that doesn't always happen. If you look at Britain, I use the example, but Britain, the United States, other examples, not all are parliamentary democracies, but they're all very similar. They don't get kicked out of the party for voting against it. So because of that party discipline, we need to have more independence. The question is, how do you get them elected? Because no party is going to get into government and want to make it easier for independents to get elected because it becomes threatening. You can imagine if, uh, so if you look at the polling today, and this is going to change up and down throughout the election, but uh, the, the estimates are that the Liberals, if a vote was held today, they get anywhere between, say, 26 and 30 seats, which would give them a majority. But imagine if only, instead of that, only, say, four or five independents got elected. They could conceivably hold the balance of power on every single issue in the legislature. Uh, and I think that's important because you can look at that and you can say, uh, and it was one of the things that was attractive to me about why I thought I would run again and run as an independent was I said, if we ended up in a majority, a minority situation, it could actually be independence. Uh, at the time, I thought there might be a few of us uh, who could win, but um, I, I thought, wouldn't it be interesting if two or three independents held a balance of power on every single issue, which would take all the power away from all the three major uh, political parties, and would create a situation where every budget, every piece of legislation would require the support of one or two of these independents. Now, if you go and look at uh, Eric Grenier's um, data online on CBC, he's the guy doing the seat projections, uh, you will see why the deck is stacked against independence. So it says Dartmouth East is a safe liberal seat. Now, if you live in Dartmouth East, you know that that is not the case, and now with only, uh, well, there's three candidates, there's a Green Party, the Liberal, and the Tory, um, and apparently we just lost a candidate in Dartmouth South tonight, too, so we're just hemorrhaging candidates this election all over the province. If I had to guess today, I would say that given that I, I had said on TBC that I thought it would be a race between the NDP and the Tories, because the NDP are traditionally very, very strong in Dartmouth. But I would say Tim Hallman with the Tories pretty much a shoo-in to win that race at this point. Uh, now, I've been proven wrong before, and, and who knows what will happen. But um, what's interesting about that, that is that when you... When you look at his projection as a safe liberal seat, it's not because the liberals have a history there. It's because I won it by 64% with 64% of the vote last time, and I won it with something like 50% of the time before that. And he looks at the projections and doesn't take into account that uh, whether somebody was elected 
in spite of their party, which would have been the case of 2009 when the, when the NDP were on that swing, or for other factors. And so then people will go and look at that polling data and those projections and say, oh, i got to vote for them because that's, that's the party that's going to win. Uh, and so there is no provision in Eric's uh, seat projections for independence at all. Um, it doesn't just simply that even when I was in the race, it still said it called it a safe liberal seat. And that's not to say I would have won. Um, you know, Kim or the NDP candidate may very well have won, but I still would not have said it was a safe liberal seat. Um, it, and I've been to a lot of the doors, and I've met with a lot of people, and I don't know how people were going to vote, but I know how they weren't going to vote, or at least I felt pretty confident. <laughs> And so, I mean, I may have come last for all I know in that election, and, and, and that would be fine, but I was pretty sure if it wasn't me, it was going to be uh, one of the Tories of the NDP. So, we need to find a way in this province to bring up independence, because Kevin talked about the fact that I was on the radio a lot, and we, we used to, I'd go on the radio, we'd get all these calls, and, and I've been on the radio a couple times since, uh, since dropping out, and one of the things that I'm getting from a lot of people now as well, can you help me understand this issue? And, and it gets down to the issue that every party has spin. Uh, listen, I've been guilty of spin sometimes too, but one of the things I hated even when I was a liberal was we would get talking points. And so an issue would come up and we would get an email saying, uh, here's the things you need to say to constituents. Now, I wasn't very good at using those and I tended to say a lot more and those that know me know that I can be very wordy and so I went beyond the talking points. But when you get on the radio, or you're in those interviews, or you're in the legislature, even if you're getting up to give a speech, you're handed two papers, or three papers, or whatever the case is, that say, here's the points you got to make. And if you go off that message too many times, you're going to get called to the map over that. But as an independent, I have never once, and, and I mean, Nancy can tell you this, I have never once gone on the radio or done an interview with notes, or uh, we've never once sat down and talked about what should I say on the radio? It is completely genuine and honest, and I don't even know what the questions are uh, that will come up. And we have a conversation. And I think that's what people need, because trust is at an all-time low in politics. Um, and, and I think trust is at an all-time low for all parties. And the only way we're going to solve that is if we start being much more genuine. And there's only two routes to that. One is to have more independents elected in the legislature and try to find ways to support independence. Or the second route is to get rid of the extreme party discipline that is within the parties, uh, which is probably an easier route at this point. But that's going to take electing leaders of these parties who are willing to lose votes sometimes and say that that's OK. Um, I was in the legislature for eight years. And there is only one example I can think of where I saw a government member uh, vote against their party. But a whole communications plan was put in place beforehand, and they knew it was going to happen, and that was Sterling Bellavoe on the boundary issue. And it was done so he could not lose his seat in the next election. Um, it doesn't happen very often. So I would leave you with the thought that we are not going to solve it this election. But there are probably two party leaders who will not be here after May 31st uh, because two of them will likely lose and um, whoever those end up being are likely not to be kept around by their party. Um, and it doesn't matter which parties those are, that, that, that's, what, that's what will happen because that's what happens in Nova Scotia. The, 
we have an opportunity to pick people to lead those parties and future parties, whether it's the Green Party or at some point there'll be a leadership change in the Liberal Party, to pick people who are committed to opening the door to more independent thought and allowing their members to be uh, more independently minded. And I think that's important and that's what we need to ask about. And I think it is also worth asking the candidates when they come to your door, whatever writing you're in, to say, if you are given a situation where you don't agree with the uh, party, are you willing to vote against that legislation even if it means getting kicked out of the party? And anybody that says no shouldn't be worth voting for because it means... <laughs> They're lying. Well, it, it, well, here's the thing is if somebody says to you that they would, would not vote against their party, then they're putting their job as an MLA ahead of representing you. And at the end of the day, the primary job of an MLA or anybody in elected office is to represent you. Now, it doesn't mean you always have to agree with them. But there are, I, I will finish by giving you a couple of things I think are most important in an elected person. And it doesn't matter whether it's MP, MLA, or counselor, or school board member. One, they have to be willing to explain to you why they voted a certain way and not hide from you if they're scared that you disagree with them. Uh, two, they have to be willing to put the interests of the province and the community first. Now sometimes that means doing something that the majority doesn't support, but they, again in that case they need to explain it. And three, they have to know when to stand up for things, even if it means they're going to get um, attacked or um, discredited by their own party. Those are the things that matter, uh, and if more people would prioritize them when they vote, rather than going and voting for a party, I think we would probably start to see a change. Thank you very much.